0: Cyber gendarmes shut down a major international malware operation. Apple's jail-breaking bug fumble, and a cybersecurity elder statesman gives advice on fixing payment card security. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. Cybersecurity news can be pretty depressing to follow, with the majority reporting relating to hacking, malware, and breaches perpetrated by the bad guys. So when a story comes along relating to the takedown of a malware gang, it's something to celebrate. And not least in this case because the bad guys were tricked into disinfecting 850,000 systems by France's National Cybercrime Investigation Team. With more on the story, it's ISMG Executive Editor, Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz. Good news on the cybercrime front. French police, working
1: with Czech security firm Avast have neutralized a botnet comprised of 850,000 zombie endpoints, which were infected by self-replicating Windows malware called Retidup. The worm was first spotted in 2016. Since then, it's claimed victims across 140 different countries, infecting Windows servers and PCs primarily in Latin America, but also the US and Russia. It's also been tied to malware infections in hospitals in Israel, That resulted in the theft of Israeli patient data lately the malware has been most often used to illegally install cryptocurrency mining malware on infected systems as well as ransomware in particular a variant known as stop and also a password-stealing piece of malware called rk the takedown is thanks to french cybercrime investigation agency c3n which received a tip off in march from avast Researchers at the security company had been tracking stealthy cryptocurrency mining infections and had identified Redidup as the culprit. Along the way, they also found a design flaw in the implementation of the malware's command and control infrastructure, which sends and receives instructions with endpoints or bots. Specifically, the design flaw looked like it would enable the good guys to seize control of the infrastructure and to use it to issue a command to all infected endpoints telling the malware to self-destruct. Avast says it tipped off the French police because it found the greatest number of command and control servers being hosted in France, although some were in other countries, including the U.S. With the cybercrime threat intelligence from Avast in hand, C3N, working with the Paris Prosecutor's Office, which oversees cybercrime investigations, opened a case and secured judicial cooperation from the FBI. In July, authorities quietly seized control of the servers in both France and the US, and began working with Avast to study how they worked. Avast was able to reverse engineer the botnet controller. Subsequently, French police substituted the remade server for the bad one, so that whenever a bot phoned home to receive instructions, it received a command back that told the malware to delete itself from the system completely. This isn't the first time that a public-private partnership has managed to disrupt a big, bad botnet. Microsoft, for example, has on numerous occasions worked with the FBI, as well as Europol, to take down botnets, including Citadel, WallaDeck, and Dorkbot. In most cases, authorities will create a sinkhole that redirects zombie endpoints' command and control communications to a police-run server, thus rendering the malware useless. In some cases, police can go further, When cracking down on core flood in 2011, for example, Avast says that authorities were able to create a disinfection server that sent neutralization commands to the bots. But there's a wrinkle to these disruptions. Unless police can identify and arrest the suspected botnet ringleaders, there's nothing to prevent them from redistributing their attack code again in the future and infecting a bunch of endpoints and building a fresh botnet. In the case of Reddit French police have not publicly identified any suspected botnet ringleaders although they do say their investigation is continuing. But with so much cybercrime continuing to be run from Russia or its neighbors, which by and large lack extradition treaties with the likes of France and the US, arresting botnet ringleaders continues to be difficult. But Jan Voltacek, a reverse engineer at Avast, who helped lead the research effort, tells me that this takedown has severely impacted the cybercriminal's operation. And if they want to start again, it'll have to be from scratch. Meanwhile, security experts have added blocks for the malware, and they're keeping a close eye on any new variants that might emerge. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz.
2: You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news.
0: Some interesting news this week on an Apple jailbreaking vulnerability. Notably, that Apple reintroduced the bug after patching it in an earlier operating system update. With all the details, is ISMG's managing editor, security and technology, Jeremy Cook.
2: Apple released a flaw on Monday to fix a flaw that had accidentally reintroduced in iOS. The flaw is unusual in that it enabled iOS enthusiasts for a little over a week to jailbreak their up-to-date devices. Jailbreaking allows root access to iOS, which Apple tries to prevent. It lets users circumvent Apple's security protections and install apps from outside the App Store. What is perhaps most extraordinary is that the situation occurred at all. In May, Apple issued a patch for iOS 12.3 that fixed a kernel memory vulnerability. That was found by Google Project Zero's Ned Williamson, who published the sock puppet exploit for the bug. Then in June, Apple reintroduced the bug in iOS 12.4, although the error wasn't quickly spotted. Earlier this month, however, Benjamin Weaver developed a jailbreak that used it. Apple pushes updates to iOS, and users are prompted to accept the updates. Generally, unless users want to take on the additional security risks that come with jailbreaking a phone, users should apply the update immediately. Anyone seeking to jailbreak their devices however will have to block the update public jailbreaks along the lines of what weaver released are very rare for ios these days having access to a jailbreak that works on up-to-date apple devices is sought after by governments and fetches a high price from vulnerability brokers For years, Apple played a rolling cat-and-mouse game with talented researchers who would probe the latest versions of iOS, looking for a vulnerability or a chain of flaws that would lead to a jailbreak. In the early days of iOS, jailbreaks for fully patched iOS devices appeared with some frequency. But Apple has improved its code quality, and it's arguably harder than ever now for researchers to find exploitable flaws for a jailbreak. Apple has also been trying to get researchers to report these flaws to it directly and quietly. Three years ago, the technology giant launched a Bug bounty program that paid researchers for the type of information that could be used for a jailbreak. Recently, Apple dramatically increased the payouts on offer and began allowing anyone to participate in the bug bounty program. The top bounty is now one million dollars for a persistent zero interaction flaw on either iOS or macOS. But this time around, there was no bug bounty reward. Instead, it just delighted a clutch of jailbreakers. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk.
0: And finally. One of the most notable sessions at the recent ISMG Cybersecurity Summit in New York was a panel discussion between two of the elder statesmen of our industry, Steve Katz, the world's first CISO, and William Hugh Murray, a man with over 50 years' experience in IT, 40 of which have been in security. In short, a man who knows a thing or two about our industry. Matthew Schwartz had the opportunity to interview Mr. Murray on the state of payment card security, and he asked him, What needs to be done? Here's his response.
3: One of the places to start would be to take take the magnetic stripe off. Uh, MasterCard and Visa and and EuroCard made a big deal when they introduced the EMV chip uh, about when it was going to happen. They have yet to say when they're going to take that mag stripe off. I tried to get American Express to give me a card without the magnetic stripe and they said they didn't have any way to do that. That It was just, there was no way to, to give, us, give me a card and They didn't have it. I said, well, that's all right. I'll just scratch it off. <laughs> so now you can read the chip, but you can't read that number. We need to hide that number every place we can and stop exposing it in all the places that we do. Ultimately, we need to take it off the face of the card. And the, the issue would say, oh, we can't do that and I say, well, look at the new Apple card. The new Apple card does not have the card number on there. Oh, it has a mag stripe, and it's on the mag stripe, but it's no longer displayed on the face of the card. We could take the mag stripe off and only use the chip, and we, we uh, wouldn't have the exposure that we have now. Uh, we encrypt the primary account number on the wire, except that at every stage along the way, we decrypt it so that it gets exposed over and over and over again. We have merchants who accept that number. They don't have to. They don't have to. Because they bear the risk. Because they and, they, and they and when they accept the number, they bear all the risk. They bear the risk that the number uh, is being presented to them fraudulently by the wrong person and that they're shipping the goods, not to the address of the real account holder, but to another. They could use PayPal. PayPal accepts all the risk for them, makes it more convenient for the customer. The customer doesn't have to enter his 16-digit number. All he has to do is enter his PayPal password. And PayPal then takes all the risk. <laughs> they pass back to the merchant a guarantee that he will be paid, and they pass back the the authenticated name and address of the real account holder so that the goods uh, the merchant no longer has the risk of shipping the goods to the wrong person he now has an address that's been authenticated by paypal that he can rely upon and if perchance it is fraudulent paypal bears the risk not the merchant so we are seeing examples come along we got all kinds of ways of hiding it we we, uh... we we have uh, uh... When Apple Pay came out, their timing was dependent upon when Visa offered uh, token services. Visa token services turned out to be essential to the ability to do Apple Pay because that's the way that they associate a payment authorization number with a primary account number. So when you enroll in Apple Pay, uh, Apple passes... Your card number to Visa, Visa returns a payment authorization number that's different from the card number, and that's what gets stored on your iPhone. Even if it got, and and Apple stores it in special storage to make it hard to get to, but even if it leaked, (coughs) it's only usable in the context of Apple Pay, it's not usable anyplace else. You couldn't give that number to a merchant and have the merchant enter it as a credit card number. It's 16 digits, but it's not a primary account number. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So we have all the mechanisms in place. What we don't have is the will.
0: That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.